Cystic fibrosis is a life-threatening inherited genetic disorder. And when I was born, my life expectancy was 16. When I was 19, I became seriously unwell. My lung function at that time dropped to 50% and it just wasn't stable. It was always up and down. And I remember sitting in the hospital I'd been in for a few weeks and then turning around and saying, if you stay on this trajectory, you'll have two years to live. I remember sitting there being like, okay, cool, but I don't have time to die. I've got all these things I want to achieve and do. And now you're telling me that my life is going to end. And I just didn't accept it. And so I sat there and I was like, nope, don't believe you. I'm going to prove you wrong. You might feel tired, beat up, run down. You might be in pain, feel lost. You might even feel alone. But I promise you, I promise you, you are not alone. And today, I'll show you the proof. Welcome to the skid. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Into the Skid podcast. I am your host, Aaron Ace Carter. Uh, for Maybe for some of you, it's welcome back. But if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. I'm really excited for my guest today. This is a person who has uh, cystic fibrosis. She's also um, an accomplished endurance athlete. And I don't even know her. I just know her from social media, from Instagram in particular. When I was at my sickest, um, I felt comfortable reaching out to her and just uh, telling her thank you for being such a positive person because it really resonated with me. And so to be able to have her as a guest today is just <laughs> I'm like beside myself. So it is my absolute honor to welcome Sophie Grace Holmes. Hi. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you. So I'm going <laughs> to, please bear with me. I'm going to try my best not to get emotional through this because you are one of the people that really, um, when I was at my lowest point, you were one of the people that I saw out there, um, you know, overcoming what you've been through um, and your challenges. And I, I never lost hope completely. I always kept some hope in the back of my mind. And I thought maybe one day I'll get to talk to her and say, thank you for inspiring Aww. me, for helping me continue to the fight. Oh, so thank amazing. you. <laughs> oh, no, thank yeah. you for sharing it with me. And so I, I just want to jump right in. Um, so if you have cystic fibrosis, what is cystic fibrosis? And what was the process like of getting uh, diagnosed? And at what age do, were you diagnosed? For people that don't know, cystic fibrosis is a life-threatening inherited genetic disorder, which most people now are diagnosed from birth. But when I was born, I wasn't because it wasn't a standard test to have. And so I wasn't diagnosed until I was four months old. And so for my mum and dad, obviously for them, it felt like them bringing up a child to die because they just had this new baby and I've got two older sisters um, and then all of a sudden they've got told, you know, she's got cystic fibrosis, which predominantly affects your lungs and your digestive system, as well as other organs. But essentially what it means is your lungs are clogged up with mucus, which then can cause lung infection, which then causes lung damage. And further down the line, obviously, then it's harder to breathe, which is why a lot of people end up in hospital a lot on oxygen. And when I was born, my life expectancy was 16. Wow. So... It's quite a journey. Yeah. It, wow. It is. Um, and I'm curious, excuse me, at what point did you, I guess at what point did your parents tell you you had cystic fibrosis and like, what was that like learning that when you were younger? I don't really remember the exact point, but 
you know, for me growing up, being on 80 tablets a day, nebulizers, in hospital every three months to have checkups was actually quite a normal thing because I didn't know anything different. And although, you know, growing up through my teens, I did have the extra tune-ups and things like that. I basically, growing up, judged myself against people in PE because if I could beat people in races or at sport, surely the doctors have got this diagnosis wrong. And honestly, that is what I believed because I was maybe positively naive, if that's the thing. Because for me, it was a bit like, well, if I'm still doing all these things, despite what they say, then surely that's a good thing. And so, you know, growing up, I was in all the teams, county level sprinter, had a horse, so competed and things like that. And then up until I was about 19, that's when things really did go, get serious and could have taken a turn for the worst. But until then, like, I was just kind of using it as my superpower, to be honest. <laughs> Your superpower. I like that. I like that a lot. I'm still trying to figure out what mine is. I'm not quite sure. I'm going to take some time to figure that out. Um, but for you as a child, so in your childhood, what was it like? Uh, how did your classmates respond to you? How did your friends respond to you? And what was it like growing up as a child with CF? I mean, there were a few that liked to tease because obviously I was taking tablets all the time, having to go, especially in primary school, going to you know, the doctor's office to go and take my tablets because they didn't allow me to take them in front of everybody else. But because I was a bit like not phased by people asking questions, I was always very open and honest to the point of my own understanding that people just kind of accepted it and wanted to help and support in ways that they could do. So it was actually really nice. And I know a lot of people have had different kind of journeys within that, but I've always believed in being open and honest and sharing your story because it may inspire other people. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when you were younger, so you had that sort of open um, willingness to talk about it even when you were younger. Was there ever a time where you were sort of hesitant? Um, I can't remember an actual specific time that I would have been. But to be honest, I think it was my way of accepting the situation as it was as well. To kind of share my journey, to be open and honest and have people part of it. Because I wanted to be myself and be able to be authentic within whatever situation I found myself in. And it very much quickly helped me understand the people that were in, the people that were out, and not to worry about what people have to say, whether they're, if they're especially if they're negative, and kind of just focus on the people that were there for you and supported you through all kinds of different times when things were good, when things were bad. And it probably actually helped me mature a lot quicker. And, I, and it's given me such a unique outlook that I think it's probably saved me a lot as well, rather than trying to hide it all. Because I know people with CFU have, and then they've really struggled to kind of be open and honest later on in life where because I was just open from the start and my mum and dad were doing loads of fundraising and like I was doing talks from a young age and all these things. Like I think it just really kind of helped me thrive. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I marvel now at your ability to be so open about it because the conditions that I'm dealing with, I'm still not there yet. I'm still not in a place where I feel comfortable enough to talk about it um, openly. Uh, I'm getting there. And I think this talk, this conversation with you helps me, helps move me there a little bit more. But for you to be able to do that at such a young age, that's just absolutely amazing. I think it's a testament to you and to your parents and to the community that helped bring you up. You know, it's you, know, you don't have to share everything because let's face it cf is not glamorous at all like with what it actually is but i think it helps you kind of understand how to help yourself as well yeah yeah um so you mentioned at 19 years old things took a turn for the worse um what was that like so 
when I was 19, I became seriously, seriously unwell. And I remember sitting in the hospital I'd been in for a few weeks and then turning around and saying, we don't really know what we're going to do because everything we are trying to help your health isn't working. And so if you stay on this trajectory, you'll have two years to live from now. Mm. And I remember sitting there being like, okay, cool, but I don't have time to die. I've got all these things I want to achieve and do. I have no idea what you're talking about because previous to this, I have been within reason for someone with CF. Well, and now you're telling me that my life is going to end and that CF has caught up with me. And I just didn't accept it because I was like, you're not giving me enough evidence as to why. Like, I've kind of gone to like A to B in a very quick space of time. And so I sat there and I was like, nope, don't believe you. I'm going to prove you wrong. And drew up a really long bucket list, retrained in my career and worked alongside a few people that believed in what I wanted to achieve. And we did achieve it. Um, and I believe all those things happened for a reason because it then gave me the life that I've been able to share for the last 10 years. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, just so I, I just want to make sure I understand correctly. So when you were 19, you said things, you became seriously unwell. Can you give me like a sense of what that looked like, what that felt like? Oh, of course. So my lung function at that time was a hundred percent. So compared to the normal person, it was completely normal, no problems, obviously still had to do the medication, etc. But then in what felt like overnight dropped to 50% and it just wasn't stable. It was always up and down. And to put that into perspective, I couldn't sit and talk without being out of breath. I couldn't walk up the stairs. I certainly wouldn't have really been able to train very well. Um, and even eating was hard work because being able to not breathe and then eat and all these different things. And so for me, it was a real eye-opener to the reality of what I could be facing. Yeah. Uh, and you talked about training. What were you training for at the time? Well, I decided that I wanted to go and summit Kilimanjaro because in my head, I was like, right, if I'm going to die in two years time, I need to do something worth it. I need to do something. So at least I have achieved something that I could be proud of and share stories of. And obviously the doctors were not happy about this girl, but I was like, well, you've told me this. If I've got an opportunity to go, I'm going like, I'm going to try and give it my best shot to try and summit a mountain and what, be what feels like on top of the world. So um, I did that actually with a 50% lung function. And looking back now, the strength that must have taken um, even blows my mind just because now where my health is so well and so stable, I'm like, I must have been a woman on a mission to get there, especially with the odds against me and no one believing I'd ever do it. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hold on. So you climbed what with what lung function? Oh my God. That is absolutely wow. Yeah. So I summited Mclemore with 50% lung function and it was tough, but do you know what? The altitude did not affect me in the way that I kind of expected it to, to be honest. Why do you think that was? really know but the only thing I can kind of put it down to is the fact that my body is used to having to kind of adapt to different kind of air, airway breathing kind of things over the time so I can only assume that that was part of I guess the positive if you can find it in within that situation yeah so I gotta ask when you're standing at the top of Kilimanjaro I mean what's that feeling like Oh, it's the best feeling in the world. It is something I would recommend to so many people because 
you do feel like you're on the roof of Africa. And if you get a clear day like we did, you can literally see for miles. And for me, the problem with it was, was like, oh, see, I've done it. What's next? But it was the most phenomenal feeling. I met some of the most incredible people along the way. And honestly, I am so grateful for that opportunity and just being like, I'm going to go. That's it. I'm going to go and achieve this thing. And you kind of then find out what you're capable of and you grow in confidence to the ability of what you could achieve. And I think that's the point of pushing yourself out of the comfort zone and being happy there and comfortable there is the fact that you can then do so much more than your mind allows you to think. (laughs) Wow. That just blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. I mean, not even just to do it, but just to to even think about that, to set your sights at the top of Mount Kilimanjaro with 50% lung function or 100% lung function, um, it's just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, and then to go out and execute it and do it, incredible, incredible. Uh, I am somewhat like you in that I'm always looking for what's next, what's my next challenge. I love challenging myself. Uh, for me, it's definitely <laughs> not Mount Kilimanjaro. I am definitely afraid of heights. You put me in a glass elevator, you can see my heart leaping out of my chest. Um, but for me as a writer, it's my Kilimanjaro is something like uh, I've written a movie script. I've written a television show pilot. I've written, I'm in the process of writing a novel. Those are things that, uh, that I challenge myself with. And I know for me also, it's because I'm always looking for what's next. It's sometimes difficult for me to keep track of perspective. Um, it's easy for me to lose perspective on how far I've come because I'm always looking for, okay, I did this. Now I want the next thing. Uh, I'm curious for you. Do you find that challenging also? Yeah. Do you know what? I can relate to that because I remember I do these things. I've done various things since then. And I'm like, okay, cool. What's next? But actually you have to sometimes sit and be like, do you know what? The things that I've actually achieved, one, most people wouldn't try to, especially living with cystic fibrosis and I think you have to sit and admire that achievement because otherwise life goes by so fast and you won't ever sit there and be like you know what look at all the things I've done and so I do now have a document on my laptop with all the the achievements the dates um so that you know you can actually look back and be like do you remember when I went and did, did that did that thing or find that mountain or did that race because I think we get so wrapped up especially with social media of like what's next oh, what more can I achieve? Like what's bigger or better than the last thing that we actually forget the growth and the commitment and everything that comes in with achieving a goal. And you don't want to forget that because that the reason that you are the person you are today is because of the choices you made before and the choices you make now will be the help, the choices and the goals that you achieve in the future. And so you want to remember where you've come from. So then you know, when you are setting these massive goals, the goals that scare the hell out of you, you can be like, well, when I first started, this is what I did. And these are all the things that then came off the back of that path. And so I do try and look back and reflect and I try and do it on like a quarterly or yearly basis to be like, what have I done this year? And it doesn't have to be the big goals because I think it's too easy to focus on those things. It's also the smaller goals that you know, five years ago, like, oh, I want my life to look a bit like this. And then you do achieve them. So I just wrote that down because I'm going to start doing that myself. I'm going to make myself a document yeah. of all the things that I've sort of knocked off and accomplished. Um, for me, when I was at my sickest, um, so for people who don't know, or if you're just tuning into this podcast, um, I have in 2020 during the 
in the middle of the pandemic, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition that causes inflammation in my brain and spinal cord. And I lost the ability to walk and talk for weeks at a time. Um, and so it came with like a bunch of other things too. One of them was sensitivity to stimuli. So I was really sensitive to sound and light. Uh, when I started to recover, I finally got the treatment that I needed. Um, I would literally just go outside for 30 seconds. And that was like my threshold. And I would do that every day for about a week. And then the next week I would add 30 more seconds. So I'd be outside for like a minute. And now, well, now I'm not, not limited at all, but sometimes it's easy to forget that I started at 30 seconds. And so I'm so glad that we're having this conversation and that you mentioned that about your the document document that you have, um, because I think I'm gonna try to incorporate that into my life too. I'm curious, can you give me a sense of some of the things that are on that document? Of course I can, uh, it's my, my, my <laughs> favorite topic. So I obviously do Kilimanjaro. And then since then, I then went on to run ultra marathons, um, Summit Mont Blanc, which is another one I would definitely recommend to people. Um, I've done Ironman, I've done Ultra Ironman, I've done an 80 mile paddleboard race from the Bahamas to Florida. Um, I've done various different kinds of races uh, to do with running, biking. I've ridden the length of Britain on my bike, as you do. Um, <laughs> and next year, I am planning a very long 35-day challenge, um, which I'm actually really excited about because it was something that I originally was going to do when I turned 30 because when I turned 30, living with cystic fibrosis, that was such a big milestone because obviously before it was like, well, you're going to make 16. Then I made 30 and I really wanted to do a challenge, but unfortunately for me, I thought about it too late. And all the coaches that I was looking to help me, they were like, no, you don't have time unless you want to get injured. And so I finally committed, but added an extra five days on because I can. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, wow. It's going to be a long 35 consecutive marathons, but it will be an incredible experience. And I think for me more so, the growth in your mindset that you're going to get from that is going to be phenomenal because it's going to be a real test of how much do you want to achieve this goal? Yeah. So wait, do I have this right? 35 consecutive marathons? I've not done anything longer than I think it's nine days in a row before mm. and that was when I rode the length of Britain and it's something that is quite close to my heart because it could also be a world record for someone with cystic fibrosis so you know and you know you always regret the things you don't do and I live by a couple of phrases. Like one of them is, it's the excuses you make today, which will be the regrets that you have at the end of your life. And I know that if I don't commit to this, when I've got such an opportunity to do it, like for those 35 days that the dates are, like all I'll be thinking about is, I should have done that thing. Um, and also it's about living for the now and being able to do these things while you have the ability to do them. Because I think that's what makes you you and it gives you the life you want. And also, who knows what doors it could open by simply pushing yourself to achieve things that are deemed hard or potentially impossible to other people. 
Yeah, for sure. That's the power of, that's one of the reasons why I love being a journalist, love being a writer, because I get to tell people stories. And one of the, I think one of the most powerful things of the human condition is being able to share our stories because, you know, you and I obviously look nothing alike, sound nothing alike, don't, didn't grow up in similar places, but yet your story has had such a profound impact on me. And that's the power of like sharing these stories. Um, I am... I'm curious about something. So for you, um, I mean, just how does that sound to be able to say that you've done all of these things? You know what I mean? Like when you look back to the young girl who had to take 18 to 30 pills or however many pills you had to take a day and to the person you are now being able to do all the things that you can do now. I mean, looking back on that journey, how does that feel for you? You know what, I, if you had told me when I was young that these are the things that I would be doing, I probably wouldn't have believed you because, you know, the odds were stacked against me. Everyone told me, even the doctors told me, you're never going to have a normal life, you're never going to have a life, you can't achieve anything, there's no point in doing anything because you're not going to be here very long. And to make that decision when I was 19, to turn that all around, to be like, no, I am going to do that. And I hope that, you know, by sharing what, you know, I have been able to do inspire someone just to try or just to take that first step. Because I do believe, you know, we can be 1% better a day. And that 1% does pay off in the long run. And I think you have to look back and be proud of what you can achieve. And I think for me, especially before this new medication came around three years ago, it was like, I might not have that much time. And nobody knows how much time they have, but I may not have time. And so I have to fill the years that I have got with as much as possible. So that if that time did come young, I could be like, you know what? I have used the hours and the days that I've got to maximal capacity. And I'm proud of that. And I have left behind some form of legacy so that someone else can then kind of pick up where I left off to be like, well, she can do it. I can do it. And, you know, that's all I really hope for, that I can inspire somebody just to try and achieve their goals because you've just got to start, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, when you talk about time, it resonates with me. Um, so the condition that I have, so I get, I have infusions every six months. I have infusions of this medication and that's the only thing that's really helped. Um, and so that started about a year and a half, two years ago. Um, and, but I still have symptoms like, so every now and then the muscles in my face will twitch, the muscles in my mouth, my tongue will twitch. Um, and this happens, you know, maybe like once a day or something like that. And so it's just, it's enough of a reminder that there's something going on. And so um, when you talk about time, it resonates with me because I also, I feel like there's so many things I want to get done because I don't, you know, I'm fine right now, but I don't know how much time I'm going to have. And so um, I guess there's a question in there somewhere. Um, one of them is that um, what kind of, do you still experience symptoms on the daily? Yeah, and I think, so I basically three years ago, I started this medication that's a genetic modifier. And so basically what it does, it targets it targets the genes to make them work like, I guess, as close to normal as possible, which means, you know, I can breathe better, I digest food better, I have more energy, all these benefits, which are amazing. And it's so easy to forget the hardship that you were battling every day. So to begin with, it was like, oh my God, this is what it must be like to breathe. Like it was really an emotional time because I didn't realize my own struggle until that day, until I gave, was given the opportunity to kind of 
breathe actually from my lower airways and be able to do it without restriction. And so because of that, it is so easy to forget that I have CF. And then every so often, as it likes to, it pops up and goes, don't forget. And although most people probably would think I'm crazy for saying this, I actually quite enjoy the reminder because it reignites the spark. If you're ever feeling a bit like, oh, stuck or less motivated or don't want to work as hard, it's like, ah, I remember. Like, I, I still have that, especially if I'm out training or I'm training for these big goals. I have to remember that I did all these other ones, but not really being able to breathe. And so it's a privilege to be able to now go ahead and try and achieve things with, the, with that ability. And so having the reminders every so often isn't a bad thing. Like I had a flare up last Christmas, had to have antibiotics. Um, and I was breathless going up, upstairs, like my lung function, because I had a chest infection, dropped down to 50. And it has been a very long time since I experienced that. And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, I can't also let this stop me because I also did all these other things when I also felt like that. So I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm going to pick myself up and do what the original version of me would have done before having this medication. And so although, you know, it would be great to find a cure at this moment in time where I am so well and I'm grateful for that, it's okay because it also sparks that fire and you're like, no, I'm going to go and keep chewing these things. And you know, for me, I thrive off pushing myself into the unknown and thrive off, you know, feeling discomfort, but being able to achieve something at the end. And through COVID, where we couldn't do all of that, I really mentally suffered because I wasn't doing the things that made me feel most alive and most me. So that's why every single year now I try and find something to really challenge myself mentally and physically, because that's what I love to do. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because uh, similarly, uh, I've been an athlete all my life. I played college basketball. Uh, my dad played in the NBA. And so I grew up around sports and exercise was always sort of a safe haven for me, no matter what was going on in the world, um, no matter what was going on elsewhere in my life. Um, I could always exercise. I could always play the sport that I loved, basketball. Um, and I'm just wondering, I'm curious for you. What has exercise meant to you? What has it been for you in your life? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I think it gives me mental clarity. It gives me freedom. It's personally the best way to start the day because I think it brings so much positive into your life. And if you can turn up for yourself at, at whatever time in the morning and push yourself, then you can literally achieve anything because, you know, it almost feels insane going somewhere, pushing yourself really hard, it being really difficult, it being painful, because it is to a certain degree. Um, actually walking away being like, oh, God, I feel great. And I think I would feel completely lost without it. Um, and so it's such a big part, I guess, of my identity. I also, for me, I feel so privileged to be able to do it because I also know so many people with my condition wouldn't even be able to get out of bed. And so for me, I yeah. just always try and think like I can and that's why I do these things because I have the ability and I'm lucky enough to be able to say yes and execute the plan. Yeah, it's interesting because you talked a little bit about um, your identity and I'm curious about something just to spin things forward a little bit because um, I remember reading one of your Instagram posts and you talked a little bit about how 
um, you know, even well-intentioned people can sometimes uh, unintentionally put their foot in their mouth. Um, and I'm just, I'm curious about some of the things that people say to you as someone with CF and uh, I guess things that um, they should think twice before saying. Oh, there's been so many over the years. <laughs> Some people go, especially when I had had a cough, you should stop smoking. Um, you'll fight, there'll be a cure eventually. You'll grow out of it. Um, your CF must be really mild because you seem more well than other people. Um, it can't be that bad because you're still working or you're still training. Um, and I think this is the thing that comes with invisible illness, right? As you know, like you look perfectly well on the outside, but you may not be well on the inside. And I think firstly, like it comes from a place of um, lack of education and people don't know what to say. And I think one of the hardest things for me, which I know people, I know I take it in the wrong way when they go, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I'm like, well, actually, although it's been quite a journey, I'm not because it's given me such a unique outlook on life and a unique life in general that what would my life have looked like if I hadn't had these challenges to overcome and this adversity to face to then build the life and the experiences and all the things that I have done because I know that I wouldn't have probably done hardly any of the things that I've achieved or the opportunities that I've had if I hadn't have had this thing to fight back against and kind of show to myself how strong I could be and you know what I could achieve and so although I don't mind the questions because it's an opportunity to educate I think if you've not met somebody with an illness or an invisible illness before it's hard not to say those things as well especially if you're um, a mum with a young child that looks absolutely fine. Uh, that's one of the ones that I also get the well it can't be that bad I have a um, I have a chronic pain condition in both of my legs um, when I was, I'm 43 now. When I was 24, um, I was probably like six to eight months of, uh, after grad, after I graduated from college, I played basketball in college. And in my family, you only eat what you kill yourself. So when you graduate from college, you got to get a job, right? And so I did. And I was working in an office building. And uh, to, to this day, I still never got the full story. But either one of our customers thought her foot was on the brake, but it was on the gas. Or she thought she was in reverse, but she was really in drive. And she literally drove through my office building and I just happened to be standing in front of her when she did it. And so she hit me, the desk, and pushed us to the other side of the room where there was another desk. And so I was trapped between the car and two desks at my legs. And long story short, it left me with chronic pain in both my legs. And I have, um, you know, I had a bunch of surgeries and procedures to try to help, but nothing helped. Eventually, the last ditch effort was uh, doctors surgically implanted electrodes into my spinal cord, and they blocked the pain messages that go to my brain. And so that finally helped. Um, and then, you know, that was how I was able to, I kind of changed my whole life around because, you know, when I was in college, the first time I got a degree in business, but if I'm being honest, I really majored in basketball because that's really what I cared about. And I never let anything get in the way of that, uh, which you know, was immature and silly, I realize now. But this car accident was, um, it was simultaneously the best and the worst thing that's ever happened to me because it allowed me to, once I was able to control or manage the chronic pain, it allowed me to reinvent myself. Uh, I went back to school, I got a degree in psychology. And for the first time, I applied myself in school 
uh, with the same passion I had for basketball. And I actually found out that I was kind of smart. And so I graduated with honors. I went on to try to get my PhD. And during this time, like I stopped watching sports altogether because it was too painful for me to watch and to know because doctors told me I'd never play again. But what happened was as time went on, um, that passion for sports came back and I'd always loved to write um, and I had always loved sports. And so I thought, um, you know, the perfect marriage between the two is to become a sports writer. Um, and so I left my PhD program in psychology and I got my master's in journalism and I've been doing that ever since. And so, um, but all of that to say that uh, what resonated with me was the, um, well, it can't be that bad because, you know, I've since I'm able to play, well, actually, and since now I've been sick too, I'm getting back in daily exercise. So now I'm able to, um, I can probably play basketball again if I wanted to. Um, but with COVID and all that, it's not really safe for me to try to do that. But um, I get that a lot with the amount of exercise I'm able to do. Oh, well, your chronic pain must not be that bad. Well, actually, it is. So much. Before we carry on, you are an incredible human. Like to be oh. able to have overcome <laughs> Thank you. all those things but with such a fight and the determination to still live the life that you aspire for. Because so many people would have given up even from when you had that car accident they would have been like oh well that's it for me and you just kept going and going and going and as you say like it's probably opened up doors you never expected yeah yeah so you absolutely. need to give yourself credit for that and like this I, is why you should do the document <laughs> so you can look back and be yeah. like these are the things that have happened in my life but actually this is how i responded because i think if you're naturally the kind of person that responds okay, well, this is what's happened. What are we going to do or how are we going to create a positive? That is actually quite a rare trait to have in a human. I think most people direct to the, oh, this has happened to me and that is now what's defined me. Yeah. Yeah. So Thank you. Keep smashing Thank it. Thank you for saying that. Keep doing you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was also curious just about the, um, you mentioned it earlier, but COVID. I mean, having... Um, you know, having a genetic condition that affects your lungs and having this, you know, worldwide pandemic, uh, not world, pan, this pandemic. Um, how, what was that experience like for you? It was very unusual because uh, pre-COVID, I owned my own um, personal training business in person, so in a gym. And I was doing that eight, nine years. And obviously COVID came around and the advice that was given was, you can't do that anymore. You need to go and shelter. And so I shut my business. So one day I went into work, said goodbye to my last client, and that was it. Woke up the next day and I was like, okay, cool. Now, now what am I going to do? Because obviously I can't just sit here. Um, and so I relaunched it all online. But it was a really strange time for me because I didn't leave my apartment for 16 weeks. It's like I didn't really see another human really for about that time didn't like have any contact within reason and so I think it was a real learning curve for me like one how am I in my own company I lived on my own anyway so I knew I'd be okay but it's like if you wake up every day and you don't have a purpose i.e you're not going to see your clients or you're not got this you've got to then create that purpose so I was like well maybe this is the opportunity for me to build a life that I aspire for away from what I had and so I used that opportunity to build an on online platform to build my online business um 
and just kind of like branch out and see what I wanted to do. And it was life changing actually in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, there's so much positivity in your story. There's so much positive thinking in what you do and how you describe everything. I'm wondering, so when you do get down, are there things that um, help you, that help get you back to being positive? You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I think it's like safe to say, like, as a human, even if you are naturally positive, like you're going to have those times and it could be more than a day. It could be a few weeks, it could be a few months. Like life is turbulent. And you have to embrace the highs and the lows because that's life. That's part of the roller coaster. It's part of learning and growing and all those things. And I think for me, like the biggest thing I ensure that I do is move, like, a form of movement, taking the dogs out, go to the gym, go for a run, etc. Because that will then implement a positive. Like I've done something for myself that I said I was going to do, and that's the quickest way to grow in confidence to commit to the things you are going to do and execute them and go forward. And so. You know, it doesn't mean that I don't then struggle like in different, because I think you can have highs and lows in the same day. Um, but I think for me, it's about the positive routine that you put in place, the morning routine, the evening routine, the circle that you surround yourself with. Like I have um, phased out, we'll say, many people in my life over the last five, 10 years, because they're not good for me. They're not going to facilitate my growth. They don't believe in the vision. They don't believe in me. Um, and it isn't as easy as just being like, okay, nope, you're out. And it, it can be hard, especially if it's a friend you've known for 20 years. But you have to do these things because you have to do what's right for you as a person, mentally and physically. And if you've got friends who don't support you or are constantly criticizing, how is that going to make you feel about yourself? And so, you know, over the last, especially three, four years, I've moved away from friendships, relationships, um, work-related partnerships because they weren't serving me in the way I needed them to be. And I think, you know, it's give and take in both friendship and relationship and things like that. But if it's more one-sided and they're just trying to tear you down or they're not being supportive or understanding, I do think they've got to go. And then it allows opportunity and space for you to connect with the people that bring you positivity support learning um because if you do want to upscale your life you have to be around the people that are also doing that absolutely absolutely yeah that resonates with me also i um i, I find that i had to become um more protective of my happiness uh and more disciplined in keeping the things that make me happy, keeping them around and blocking or doing away with the things that don't make me happy. Um, and I feel like that's like a, it's like a learned skill to be disciplined in protecting your happiness. Um, it's difficult though. Like you talked about it. it's, you know, um, you might have low days and low hours and, but you know, it's, there's always a way back toward happiness. Um, I think, so I'll let you get out of here on this one. Um, you are a very positive person. Um, I'm no doubt you inspired me. You inspire um, thousands, if not millions of other, other people. I'm wondering uh, who or what inspires you? I have a lot of friends that inspire me mainly, like people that I ha I'm lucky enough to be able to be seeing on a weekly, daily basis. Like my partner, for one, he's incredible human being i'm very lucky to have actually reconnected with him so i've known him for quite a long time but 
Um, he had a health issue himself, nearly died, um, and has built himself back up and is an extremely successful but extremely supportive and caring person. Um, you know, my circle, I've niched down so much that the people that I kind of connect with are the only are inspiring and that's kind of the way it is you know they're from all different walks of life from like healthcare to construction to finance to all these different things but with a similar goal in mind just want to <clears throat> elevate your life and be a better person and achieve things right um and I know many people look to celebrities and things for that inspiration but I think within obviously your circle and the people that you share energies with, because it is all about the energy exchange, um, you have to also inspire yourself, be a better person, to be able to create the life you want, even in the days where you don't feel like it. Like the thing I say to a lot of my clients is, you're not always going to be able to give 100% because that's normal and that's human and life happens and things go in between. But it's about giving your version of 100% every single day when you show up. So like today, it could be 100. Tomorrow, it could be 50. The day after that, it could be 40. But essentially, by the time you get to the end of the week, you're still on the up. But it is also okay. And it's really important to rest and allow time for not progressing, just to be able to replenish um, and then start again. Because I think we live in such this world of like, oh, we must be better, we must be a millionaire by the time we're 30, we must do all these things. But actually, you've just got to surround yourself with the right people and do what makes you happy, as you've said, because your happiness has to be protected. Because especially for me, like I'm naturally a people pleaser and I'll naturally bend over backwards for people, but that also doesn't result in a positive all the time. So you have to then ensure that you're doing the things for you and kind of keeping an eye on yourself um, with the way you're acting because I think it's also really easy to turn behavior into destructive behavior if you're not feeling great and it's about checking in and being like mm, no okay take take some time out reassess write things down some people journal some people you know go out for a walk or whatever it could be but I just think it's one of the most important things yeah Sophie, thank you so much uh, for joining me. I really appreciate it. You have, um, like I said, you've inspired me from afar and now having a chance to sit down and talk to you, you've inspired me even more. I'm so grateful for that. I hope you can, I, I wish you continued health and success and uh, happiness um, and good luck on that 35, what is it, 35? Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> but good luck way. with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I have oh, no I doubt if anybody you. can do it, you can do it. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks.